All right. Hey, why don't you guys um, turn to Matthew chapter 2, if you have a Bible with you. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to look at, uh, really we're going to stay in Matthew chapter 2 pretty much all morning um, and afternoon and evening. Just kidding. It's not going to be that long of a message, but uh, Matthew chapter 2. Let me read the first couple verses, and then I'll tell you kind of where we're going in the next few weeks for this series. So here we go. Matthew chapter 2, a familiar passage as we get closer to uh, remembering and celebrating Christmas. Anybody else, your favorite month of the year is December? Anybody besides me? Yeah, great. What a time. How many of you guys not your favorite month of the year? All right. You want June or July. I see. Also happens to be my birthday month, so that's why I like December, too. I like um, gift card. I'm just kidding. All right, Matthew chapter 2. I'm just stalling so you can turn to Matthew 2. All right. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they were saying this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Everybody say king of the Jews. For we, have seen, we, uh, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here is the title of the series of the next three weeks taken from Matthew chapter 2 and the wise men coming and what they were looking for. They were looking for who? The king of the Jews. Everybody again, say king of the Jews. So the next three weeks, we're going to be doing this series titled King of the Jews, and we're looking at who is this king of the Jews, where did he come from, how do people respond to him, and kind of dive a little bit deeper into this Christmas story. Now, I'm assuming most of you guys have heard this story before, you've read it in the Bible, you've been to a church service around Christmas time, but I am hopeful that this series, there'll be just fresh eyes on, uh, on this story. It's what a miraculous story um, and beyond just the miracle of the birth of Jesus, I mean, there's just, there's so much depth to it. There's so much history to it. So many prophecies fulfilled. And I really want us to be in awe, again, of this story. Uh, a little special surprise. The next two weeks, we've got some in-house uh, speakers that are going to be preaching messages. So next week, we've got Lindsey Gore, who's going to be <laughs> preaching. And then Joey Casillas, wherever Joey's at, he's going to be sharing as well on uh, two Sundays from now. So get ready for that. But right now, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, who is the king of the Jews? Look at him and ask and try to answer that question. Who is the king of the Jews? Try to answer that question. Go ahead. All right. Did you guys come up with some good answers? There you go. Great job, Zach. Hey, before we dive back into Matthew chapter 2, i got to say a couple important things of where I'm about to go with this message, okay? I thought about some subtitles for this message, and uh, one of them was the worst Christmas series sermon ever because of where I'm going <laughs> and what I am going to be talking about this morning. I gave you one verse about these wise men coming to worship the king of the Jews, and most of you think, oh, great, yeah, wise men, okay, they brought some things, great, gold, frankincense, or something else, and, you know, they worshiped him, great. Uh, we're actually going to look at another character and how he responded to this king of the Jews, but the reason why I think this is going to be, quote-unquote, the worst uh, Christmas sermon ever is because this time of year, 
you know, just being a pastor for about 10-ish years or so, you know, this is like the time of the year where you slow down. You know, we got Christmas lights. Most of you are wearing sweaters. You're drinking a hot drink. And it's like a time just for me to tell you a sweet story about little baby Jesus, how much he loves you, and that he came to save you. Which, anybody thankful that he loves you and came to save you? It's great news. Uh, but what you want me to do is give you a cozy message while you sit next to your cozy fire and drink your cozy drink. And what I want to do this morning is actually zoom out and realize something about the Christmas story. But honestly, it's something about the Bible. Okay? And here's evidence that you're not going to like my message because of my first main point that I'll put on the screen. You ready for this? The Bible is not primarily about you. <laughs> Man, that re reaction was better than I imagined it would be. As I was preparing this message. Okay, you're laughing now, but listen, you're not going to like this. <laughs> you're not. I don't like it that much. The Bible is not primarily about you or me. Now, most of you nod your head and will laugh at that, but if I were to say a couple other phrases, you might get a little more uncomfortable. The Bible is not primarily for you. The Bible is not primarily to you. See, you didn't like that. Now, listen, you don't want to take what I'm saying too far because you could uh, take what I'm saying and think, oh, well, does the Bible even apply to me at all or to us? Or you could assume, you know, if the statements I just said are true, does God even care about me? Of course he cares about you. Of course the Bible applies to you. But I just want you to hear me say it's not primarily about you. It's not primarily about me. It's not like the Bible and the way we use it often in the West is like we take one little encouraging verse out of context to make us feel better about ourselves, and that's the way we handle the Bible. And I just want you to know there's a bigger story going on in the Word of God. This is primarily about God. This is primarily about Him, His creation, His story, His heart, his plan, this narrative and the story that he's been writing for thousands of years concerning why we even exist. We, we would not be breathing apart from creator God speaking the world into existence. And when we look at his word, we have to, we got to remember, we live in a culture where it's super individualistic. Most things we feel like it's all about me, it's all about me. But when we look at the word of God, we have to remember there's something bigger going on. Now listen, let me give you uh, encouraging truth so you don't check out the rest of the sermon. God, it was so crazy. As God is so big, there's suddenly so much bigger than you going on, yet he still cares about you. Yet he still knows everything you're thinking this morning and what you're carrying when you brought in here. And he loves you and sees you. I mean, it's just amazing how big and glorious and vast God is, yet how personal he is with every single one of us. It's amazing. It should cause us to be like, oh, my gosh. Like the Psalms say, what is man that you are even mindful of us? You know? But we have to remember there is something bigger going on. This is about the story God's been writing for thousands of years. It's about the fulfillment of his promises. It's about this prophesied Messiah that would come through a man he made a covenant with thousands of years ago named Abraham. It's about this story of freedom and victory and deliverance from sin and darkness and the enemy. It's about the coming king who will rule and reign forever and make all things new. And some key characters in the Bible, of course, would be God, 
be Jesus the Messiah, this Jewish Messiah. Also, the nation of Israel is a, much, is a key character in the Bible, more than you and I. The church at large, the people of God, key, I'll say character in the word of God, above me personally. You tracking with me so far? And I want to make sure that we are caught up in the right narrative and story and see the big picture because there are so many other stories or narratives, been a common word people are using these days. There's so many other stories or narratives you can get caught in that are not leading you into the truth of God's word. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But anyways, this creeps into the church around this time of the year, but always Honestly, for me and other pastors, we feel, you know, because we think it's all about us, we approach these, you know, we come into church services and we wonder, okay, did I like that sermon? Did it speak to me and what I'm walking through right now in my life? You know, does anybody else walk into services like that or sermons like that? None of you. None of you would, of course. You're not here for yourself, of course. <laughs> you know, and we process, okay, did that speak to me? Did I like that? Did I like what he said? You know, it's like... We're, we're filtering it through a lens that is, is, in a sense, pretty individualistic. And, of course, I, I hope that God speaks to you directly about what you're walking through right now. But we have to understand there's a bigger picture going on. And, you know, we have this pressure, like for me as a pastor, like i got to close out every message with three practical points that you can apply to your life so that you leave here more happy. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, just... But I just want to give you it. Maybe here's the teaser and the spoiler for every message ever. Anytime you approach the word of God, ready? Here's your takeaway. Jesus is Lord. Let's worship him. <laughs> if you walk to out of this service and every sermon you ever listen to and you're like, Jesus is the Messiah, the one prophesied about for thousands of years. He has come. He has saved us. He fulfilled all these hundreds of prophecies that are crazy the probability of that happening and yet he's right now sitting on his throne to the right hand of the father interceding for the people of God longing for the day where his bride is pure and mature and the fulfillment of his promises of the nations being reached where the gospel is reached and then the father sends them again and he comes back and restores all things I mean this is this is a glorious story and like the response is always the same you're the Lord we worship you we surrender you we give you every part of our life it's yours Lord so if you're wondering what the takeaway is, that's the takeaway for the message today, okay? Now, I know there's more. It's helpful to give you practicals, and the Bible teaches about specifics, and God cares about comforting us in our problems, but I just, I just want you to capture the main point today is that, hey, I want to make sure we're caught up in the right story, and, and we understand the bigger picture because it'll help us with processing different things going on in our life, yes, but also in the world. And today, as we dive deeper into Matthew 2, what I want to specifically look at is what are the responses of this king of the Jews that has come? What are the responses? And I'll just give you a hint. There's more than one response to this king of the Jews coming. So let's look again. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You're going to see it really plainly, one of the responses. Here we go. You guys there? All right, you with me? I didn't lose you yet? All right. Okay, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to do what? We have come to worship him. So here is response number one that you see plainly in Matthew chapter 2, and that is the response of worship. All right? The response of worship. That's what these wise men came to do. Just, I'm not going to give you a lot of backstory on the wise men and where they came from, because most people don't have a clue, <laughs> okay? Uh, you can search it all out, but it's still just mystery of where did they come from. But they came with a clear purpose, and that was to worship him. 
Now let's keep going because it gives you a little bit more insight into different expressions, I'd say, of their worship and what it caused them to do. So skip down to verse 8. Um, they had a little interaction with King Herod, which we'll come back to in a second. Then it says this in verse 8, King Herod sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what we see here is through these wise men, they are expressing their worship. Let me put up a slide that gives you maybe a couple other descriptive words of what this worship could look like and the way that it expresses itself. This worship of this king of the Jews is a sense of awe, wonder, amazement. Uh, you saw there in what was that, verse uh, 10, it was rejoicing exceedingly, great joy. Okay, they were diligently pursuing this king of the Jews. They traveled very, very far to try to find him. It led them, their worship led them to extravagant generosity. And I just love that that picture of them bowing down just shows like they're showing reverence, honor, submission. And you got to remember, this is, this is a child between the ages of zero and two that they're responding to like this. And most say he's probably closer to two at this point when the, uh, these magi, these wise men come that are rich, and they're bowing to a, like a little boy. Can you just picture that for a second? Like, I, I, I don't have a two-year-old anymore. I have a three-year-old, but I've had four uh, points of having two-year-olds. <laughs> and, like, the natural response is not to bow down and say, oh, I honor you. Okay, that's, that's not what we do with two-year-olds. This is, so this is crazy. This is a unique two-year-old. <laughs> to, to say the least about Jesus, okay? And, um, man, I would love for us, keep, you know, keep that list up there. I would love for us, as you're thinking about this season and this story, man, just think about, think about some of these words. Just, I'm about to pray right now. Lord, restore this sense of awe, wonder, amazement. Don't let me be bored with you. You know, I've seen the, you know, the manger scene, you know, hundreds of times, but let me not be bored with this story that put me in awe again. Let me, let me experience the joy of this season. You have come. You have fulfilled your promise. You know, at this point in the story, it's about a four, in the Bible narrative, biblical narrative, it's about a 4,000-year uh, prophecy fulfilled. The Jewish people waiting for about 4,000 years for this Messiah to come, and he came. Can you imagine waiting 4,000 years for something? No, you can't <laughs> because you're, most of you are 25. Okay. He's, this is a glorious moment. All right? And so let me pray that over us. God, I'm asking for everyone in this room, especially those of us that are committed believers, been following you for years. Lord, during this Christmas season, Lord, increase our worship of you, our awe, our wonder, the amazement that we see in who you are, Jesus who you are, that you would come and take on humanity, take on flesh, to come in the weakness of humanity because you love us so much and because you care, because you're faithful to your promise. Lord, release joy and excitement, thankfulness, gratitude. Let it lead to an overflow of generosity and extravagance, honor and submission to you. 
do it in this season, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we got response one, and that is of worship. But I want to spend the rest of my time here talking about another response that we don't think about very often when we think about the Christmas story, okay? And the reason that I'm saying this is probably going to be the quote-unquote worst sermon series ever about Christmas is because I don't know if anyone, I don't know, I haven't heard a message around Christmas time about King Herod's response to baby Jesus. If you, I, I don't know. But it's in the Bible, and as I was processing this, I'm like, I don't want to skip over what seems to be a pretty important part of the story that we naturally skip over because it's not nice and sweet and, you know, these three wise men bringing gifts. Look at this. Okay, so right after it says, verse, I'll start in verse 2. Okay, the wise men say, Where is he has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Everybody say troubled. So here's a broad word that I'll unpack in a second. Response number two to the king of the Jews. Ready? Trouble. <laughs> Trouble. This Greek word, as I was looking it up, it speaks of this, like this deep disturbance on the inside. Like, uh-oh. Like, What? Like, this is not okay. This is not right. That's what it means by King Herod being troubled. He was bothered by this. It, it arose insecurity, caused insecurity to rise up. Jealousy. Let, let me show you a list of a couple other words that this kind of led to, and then we'll keep reading the story, and I'll show you how it unfolds and how it festers and how it builds and what it leads to. Okay? It, this trouble leads to this sense of insecurity, this fear, this unsettling and anxiety, deep disturbance. Diligent pursuit, you'll see that in just a second. This is interesting because that was on the same list as the wise men. They had this diligent pursuit to worship, but you're going to see King Herod in a second, this diligent pursuit to destroy. It led to jealousy, anger, hatred, killing, and murder. So we have to remember that this is part of the story because here is point number two of this message. Not everyone loves, worships, and honors Jesus. In fact, most don't. Now listen, this is all over the Bible. It's all throughout this. It's even in here in this Christmas story. It's true throughout world history. It's true still today. Jesus being the king of the Jews doesn't just stir up worship. It stirs up trouble, which leads to deep disturbance, and it even leads to hatred and rage. Okay, if you don't believe me, here's a couple other prophecies uh, around the Christmas uh, story about Jesus being born. Luke 2, verse, it'll be on the screen, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 2, some of y'all know about um, a week or so after he was born, his parents brought Jesus to the temple, and, they, and <laughs> this is just a funny situation, thinking about bringing my newborn to this place of worship, and then this random old guy that's been praying for a long time snatches my baby out of my hands, his name is Simeon. Okay, this is in Luke chapter 2, and uh, he was a great guy. He's trustworthy, okay? But I'm just like, I would feel uncomfortable. Um, and so in Luke chapter 2, this Simeon guy takes Jesus, and he's been waiting for the Messiah to come. He had this sense and this word from the Lord that he was going to see the Messiah before Simeon passed away. And he's worshiping in the temple, lifts up baby Jesus, declares this prophecy. But look what he says. It says in verse 34, And Simeon... He blessed, he blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, 
This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Everybody say opposed. And then in my Bible, there's parentheses. I don't know how Simeon related this, but maybe he just kind of looked at Mary a little bit closer and whispered. And he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, by the way, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What an interesting prophecy about sweet little baby Jesus. He's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed he looked up that word opposed and again, and I was, I was shocked by some of the definitions of that word. This is a prophecy when Jesus is a little baby. It's like, you are going to cause people to oppose you, which means they're going to declare. This is what oppose means in the Greek. Declare that they are against you. Another way to say it is they're going to refuse to have anything to do with you. I remember... Early on in my walk with Jesus, after I got saved, I, I would say radically saved, there was a big turn in my life at 17, and I was really passionate about telling others about Jesus. One of those was my older brother, and I remember after maybe one or two conversations, I still remember this moment in the living room, I think I had the Bible close to me, and I started talking about the Lord, and he pretty adamantly said, don't ever talk to me about the Bible or Jesus again. And what's so interesting about that is if we were talking about something else random or something else in history or doing a little study on World War II and things that happened there and I was talking about what Hitler did, like I haven't yet heard anybody say, don't ever talk to me about Hitler ever again. But why Jesus? Let's keep going here in another prophecy. Luke 12 um, actually, this is not a prophecy. This is Jesus teaching, and this is, I'm telling you guys, you, you're not going to like some of this stuff, but this is the Bible. Luke 12, okay, and uh, this is Jesus teaching here uh, and talking about himself. Verse 51 says this, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Let me pause. I love this. <laughs> Okay, my, my boys um, and my uh, five-year-old go to a Christian school, love it, amazing school. They have different performances and different things in chapel and different opportunities for the kids to get up and share different things. And one of those things was like this MLK Day speech, this I have a dream. And multiple of the kids would get up and say, I have a dream, you know, that there would be peace on earth, which is sweet and cute and awesome. And I am not rebuking any little child for saying that. I just want you to look at this because we sometimes, we still stay in this world. But here's what Jesus said. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. Is his answer. I tell you, but rather division. And let me, I'll unpack that in a second. Let's keep going. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. It will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. On a lighthearted note, if you ever have problems with your in-laws, Jesus prophesied it. Okay. <laughs> That's actually funny. I did not think of saying that. That's helpful. Thank you, Lord. That's helpful. <laughs> I didn't think about that until just now. Okay. I mean, the married people understand in this room. <laughs> College students, you'll, you'll understand one day. Uh, 
Listen, because you got to be careful here because you can misunderstand what he's saying. He said, no, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. No, I came to bring division. And it's not that he brings division because he taught his followers to behave violently. Okay, you, re- you got to read every verse in the context of the whole council of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus. And you read through the Gospels, your takeaway is not that Jesus wants us to fight and divide. And What he's saying is he didn't teach us to behave violently. That's not why division comes. But it's because the claims of Jesus stir up hatred and offense in people. Because at the core of what he's saying is he is the Lord. And the only right response is to submit to him. And most of us don't want to submit to anybody. And if you have that trouble response, now listen, there's a journey God will take us on. Okay, and so you might initially have this troubled response. But the Lord's so merciful, so patient. He can draw you to yourself. But that troubling, unsettled for weeks, years, decades, turns into this hardness of heart and a a, a hatred against him. And so the reason that there's division around this man is because his claims arouse hate in people. Okay, and a great example of that is Matthew chapter 2. So let's look a little deeper into what happened with Herod. So go back to Matthew chapter 2. Let's keep reading verse 3 through 7. So Herod and uh, the king heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes, the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them that what time the star had appeared. And then we already read that next part, verse 8 through 12, after Herod freaked out, he got some folks together. Let's figure out where on earth this king of the Jews, I'm scared, I'm jealous, I'm nervous. I don't want my rulership, my kingship to be overthrown. So let me figure out figure out where this guy is. And then, of course, he sends the wise men on the journey to go find him, and he wants them to bring him back to, quote-unquote, worship him. Hey, has anybody seen the movie The Star? Anybody? It's a great movie. It's just, you should watch it. it kinda, it's just a funny, it's a cartoon movie about this. And anyways, one of them, <laughs> sorry, this is just not important. But watch the movie. It's kind of funny. Uh, but anyways, he gets to this part, and this camel, talking camel, of course, in the movie. Just, you know, there's this scene of, of verse 8. Let me come, bring him to me, so I'm going to worship him too. <laughs> and he crumples this flower, throws it down. This camel's like, did you see him crumple that flower? He's got, he's got really wicked intentions. He wants to do something different with this boy. Okay, which is, yeah, it's pretty biblically accurate. So Herod, we see him searching frantically, wanting to just, like, find this boy. We don't see the full version of what he intends until later on. Skip down to verse uh, 13. Now, when they had departed... When the wise men departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For, here it is, Herod is about to search for the child. He's going to diligently search him out, but for what? To destroy him. And so Joseph thankfully responded to that prophetic warning in a dream from the Lord. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. 
This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then look at verse 16 through 18. This is not a great Christmas series passage, but I think it's important for us to understand more of the full story. And I'll explain a little bit why later. Here we go. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then he then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. What a sad and tragic and horrible part of this story. Yes? Okay, tell me you're seeing that. Okay, this is really, this really happened. A, a crazy king so filled with trouble that led to insecurity and jealousy and fear led to anger and fury led to him murdering. Who knows how many, but probably hundreds of innocent children. Now, the reason I want you to see this is because I want us to have a biblical view and understanding that when it comes to Jesus, especially, you know, the, the title king of the Jews, there, is diff- there are different responses that arouse in people, arise in people. And I don't want us to have like a, a world built in our mind that honestly is fake, that everything is always peachy and always okay. That is not reality. Now, praise God. Anybody thankful that you were on Jesus' side and Jesus' team and in his kingdom, been forgiven, been washed clean for all of eternity? You're going to have, you have hope. Anybody thankful for that? Even in this life, you have hope because Jesus is with you. No matter how hard your life gets, no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter what wars are happening now or what wars will break out, aren't you so thankful that you have an eternal hope? Woo! I want to be more thankful. I want that hope and that anchor to go deeper in my soul. But one of the ways that we get deeper is we we live in truth, not in a made-up reality. And there is often made-up reality that everybody loves Christmas lights and trees and loves to worship the Lord and, and exalt this king. All hail King Jesus. Everyone's singing that song. No, they're not. And it is helpful for us to have a sober mind when it comes to this reality of this prophesied king. We can worship. We can have joy. We can be thankful. But the reason I'm sharing some of this stuff with you guys today is because I want us to be sober-minded. I'm intentional with that word, sober-minded. I want you to have clarity of thought so that as you see in the earth escalating um, hatred, increasing traumatic events, more war, more death, more attack, more hatred against whatever people, but particularly things related to Jesus or the people that he represents, which I would say there's two that Jesus represents. Jesus, when he walked the earth, was a Jewish man. So there's a sense that he represents the Jewish people. But obviously he is the king of kings, lord of lords, the savior for anyone that puts their faith and trust in him. So he also represents Christians, believers that are following this Messiah. Are you tracking with me? And there is a hatred, I'll call it an ancient hatred that has been there towards Jesus and the things that he represents. Okay, many of you familiar with the story of Esther? What was that guy's name that was opposed to the Jewish people? Haman, remember that guy? Okay, it was in him. Why? Just so incited because of these Jewish guys that wouldn't, or this uh, uncle of Esther that wouldn't bow down 
this hatred that led to him wanting to exterminate the Jewish people. Herod, this anger and this hatred led to him killing. It's continued throughout world history. Hitler. Okay, it continues. Let me give you a little tangent about current world events. It continues. So let me talk about the group Hamas. And let me get really controversial. Not controversial. This is not controversial. If you're a believer in Jesus, you need to understand what I'm saying so that you're not believing lies. So <laughs> I'm glad I corrected myself. <laughs> this hatred of the Jews or the of king of the Jews, Jesus, and the things that he represents continues on today. And what I'm about to say, the main point is awareness, and it's a call to intercession. This is not a political stance, okay? Because I'm talking to people that are, are here in this church, our church body, okay? The, the people that God's entrusted for me and our staff to shepherd, okay? So listen, okay? You need to understand what's going on. I am not, it's not about who's more right, who's more wrong, and what side. Listen, did you just understand a few key facts? And actually, let me put this up real quick. There's a, a resource slide. Go ahead and pull your phone up real quick because I need you guys to be aware of what's going on. Go ahead and take a quick picture of that. If you haven't already, this is a resource about things going on in Israel and just current events and also some biblical history. The main thing on here that I think would be so helpful for everybody to watch is it's a little less than an hour, but it's a documentary that Francis Chan and his team, Crazy Love, put on about Israel and the biblical significance and their history. And literally, it came out right before this war started uh, in Israel. And I think it's so prophetic, and it's so helpful for us to understand what's going on. Okay, so if you haven't looked at any of those resources, please do, because there's a lot of other things that you could be hearing today in social media outlets that might uh, not be accurate. Okay, so here is some things just to realize, and it's connected to the reality of different responses to Jesus, this king of the Jews. Okay, one, let's, let's talk about Hamas just for a second. What Hamas is, this is just facts. Okay. It is a terrorist organization that was, uh, took control of Gaza in 2007. Okay. It is a known terrorist organization. The, in Arabic, the word Hamas means zeal, but it, and it's also an acronym for um, something about the Islamic State. But in Arabic, it means zeal, but there's also a Hebrew word, uh, Hamas, that means violence. And part of the, you could say, the the doctrine or the covenant of Hamas, part of it is very clearly stated that they intend to destroy the Jewish people. Okay, why am I sharing this and how is this helpful? Again, this is not a call to like, hey, take sides and all this. No, no, no. My, I feel like our call as the church, people of God, is to primarily intercede. Pray. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for Palestinians. Pray for Israelis. Pray for everybody. God's heart is for people. It's for human beings to know him and to love him, to be saved, to be restored. He also does seem to have specific callings and mandates on different nations and people groups, of course. But it doesn't mean that we only pray for one or only pray for the other. But I do want you to understand a little bit more of what's going on. And again, the reason I'm sharing this stuff is that we pray. There are some people you are called to be a voice in the political world. And so my encouragement is go be that. Follow the calling of God on your life. But my call to this church is we're going to be a people that pray, and we're going to intercede, and we're going to believe that it matters. We were praying this past Tuesday at our EMP, early morning prayer, every Tuesday, 6 a.m. We meet up here in the prayer room, praying for Israel, the Middle East, and what's going on there. And one of the prayers that came up out of my heart was like, Lord, I confess this situation feels so far from me. It feels so distant. And listen, guys, having just even a few weeks removed from the initial October 7th terrorist attack, 
we, most of us are not thinking about it as much as you were a few weeks ago. But there's war still going on. There's death still happening. There's horrible things, tragic things still happening. And as I was praying, Lord, it feels so far, I confess. But then I realized, God, this is close to your heart. And I want your heart. And it just leads me into more fervent intercession for God to prevail and for darkness to lose. And I want to invite you, church, let's be a praying church, an interceding church for what's going on in the world. Even though it might feel far, this is reality. And I want us to be, why I'm sharing this, well, how I think it's helpful is I want us to be sober-minded, not just pretending everything is just peachy all the time. I don't want us to be surprised or caught off guard by things happening in the world. Uh, I want it to help us interpret world events a little bit better and produce an, an urgency and a seriousness in our pursuit of the Lord that affects our intercession, that affects the way we live in holiness. I've said this before many times last several weeks. This is a great time in human history for the church to be awake and to be alive and to be in sync with what God's doing in the world. This is not a time to be sleeping in our faith. This is not a time to be lazy in our pursuit of him, complacent, just wanting comforts of this world. Okay? Of course, enjoy the blessings and the comforts that God has. Of course, enjoy recreation. Of course, enjoy these things. But also make sure you are in you are intentionally leaning in to the seriousness, the sober-mindedness of the hour that we're living in that causes us to want to intercede, to live holy lives, to live pure lives, and to engage what God's, going, God's doing around the world. It is not a time to numb ourselves with entertainment and distraction. Those things are not bad, of course, but the, the Word of God is full of prophecies of coming revival and coming judgment. And I just want his, this church, I want us, I want myself, I want us to be prepared. We're going to enjoy the things that God's blessed us with, but we're not going to just live by distraction, recreation, and leisure all the time. You, you tracking with me? This is hard to maybe chew, okay? Listen, let me just, the reality of where we are, okay? I was laying in bed um, a couple nights ago talking to my lovely wife about, you know, all this research I'm doing to understand more of what's going on in the world. And, you know, she's laying down reading her fiction book. And I was like, do you know what's going on? Are you looking into it? She's like, I'd rather not think about it. Okay, now listen, this is not me throwing Beth on the bus. This is, here's, here's, here's my takeaway from this. That's what we all want. That's what we all want. That's what I want is for, go back to my fiction book and make sure everything's okay. Which I don't like fiction books. But anyways, uh, you know, it's like, go back to a world where nothing's wrong. Live here. I promise, I'm not throwing her, but I'm just saying, this is a great example of where we are at. This is where we're at. Listen, read your fiction book. Do your recreation. Play basketball. Have fun. Don't play too many video games. Anyways, uh, <laughs> however, as long as that's not what you're doing with all of your life, it's not what you're living for, let the Lord ask him. Lord, touch me with your fire. Let me burn with desire for you, but also let me be aware of the urgency that we live in right now. What a glorious time. As things are escalating in the earth, oh, this is the time for the church to rise up by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to be intercessors, to be those that respond well to crisis, that engage and don't disengage, that lean in. We're not going to fix every problem. And right now, yes, war is far away, but that might not be the case forever. And so you just you live differently like the people in Israel or Gaza, they're probably reading less fiction books right now. Just as an example, it's not for us to feel shame or guilt, but it's just a reality that with what, whatever's touching you a little closer, it affects the way you live. It affects the urgency by which you live. And, and, and in, by the Holy Spirit, I want this, what's going on in the world to touch us. 
the reality from Matthew 2 that not only is there response of worship, there's response of trouble, hatred, jealousy, anger that leads to death. And I want us to be sober-minded in this. Amen? You want to be sober-minded? All right. All right, band, come on, come on up. Let me close it out with a couple thoughts and just things for us to consider as um, I'm closing out here. Side note, you know, this is my practical points to close out my message. Are you ready? All right. Here's a couple things to consider for ourselves. Okay, number one, they'll pop up here on the screen. You can write them down or take a picture. One is, what is our response or what is your response to this king of the Jews? You saw two examples of the wise men that led to worship, extravagant worship, but you also saw this response of trouble. So what is our response to the king of Jews? It's just good to go back to that simple question. Say, Lord, my response is I'm, I'm in. I believe you're the Messiah. I'm going to worship you. I surrender my life to you all over again. Okay, number two, thing to consider or think about. Are we standing with Jesus, this king of the Jews, despite, the second part of this is really important, despite others' opposition of him? Because by saying my response to the king of Jews is worship, what you're also doing is you're identifying with him and you're even identifying with the opposition that will come against him because you stand with him. Does this make sense? And we don't need to be confused that, you know, people are just only going to attack Jesus because right now in, he's invisible. So people are going to attack those that, that represent Jesus. And so are we standing with him despite others' opposition of him? Third thing to consider would be what fears and or doubts rise up in us when things, quote-unquote, get real. Everybody say, get real. This is probably the one I want you processing the most as we're closing out here, is it is okay, just let me make sure everybody understands, it's okay, as we talk about the things I'm talking about today, and this agent hatred that's been there, as well as, of course, worship, is it's okay that fears and doubts rise up, because they rise up in all of us. Like, if someone's going to oppose you and hate you because you stand with Jesus, that feels a little bit different than everyone just loving you because you love Jesus. You understand? And it, it requires a certain depth of commitment, but also it, it produces some fears and some doubts. Well, okay, am I really in? Like, we're about to do baptisms today. And just Antioch is part of an international ministry. There's a lot of folks that are part of this network all around the world. We're seeing incredible moves of God in the Middle East with Muslim background believers being baptized. And they don't, they don't say the same thing. They don't do baptism exactly like we do. Because if you're getting baptized in the Middle East, you're not just saying, yeah, I'm following Jesus, you know, and I, I'm going to go to heaven one day. What they're saying is I'm okay with my entire family renouncing me, and I am still committed to Jesus even if it costs me my life. Because in many countries, it is illegal to convert, and they will come for you, and they will want to kill you. And so it's just important for us to realize what fears or doubts rise up when things get real. And the last thing I want to say for us to consider is, are we, quote, unquote, don't misinterpret what I'm saying, fighting the way this king taught us to fight? What do kings do? Of course, they rule, they reign, but they lead into battle. And I want us to be aware of, okay, are we posturing ourselves and fighting in the way that he would want us to fight? I'll give you a slide of a couple ways that I feel like is really clear in Scripture that he wants us to fight. 
Because you remember, some of you remember, when Jesus was just getting betrayed, Judas came with this mob of folks. Peter was next to Jesus. He pulls out this sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Remember that story? You heard some of that before? Okay, Jesus rebukes Peter. Don't do that. That's not how I've taught you to fight. And then you remember that. Okay, this is not a stance on war or not war. I'm just kind of, what is, the, what is the primary calling of a follower of Jesus in the way he taught us to fight? Here's a couple things. Diligent prayer and intercession. Sacrificial love and compassion and serving. Forgiving and blessing others, even our enemies. Trusting our lives into his hands. What I mean by that is, another way to say that, uh, what is it, Revelation 12, loving our lives, loving not our lives even unto death. Being faithful to him, no matter what the cost. Preaching the gospel. These are some of the key ways you see throughout scripture that the Lord's um, called us to fight. And I want us to respond in that way. So here's what we do. I want to um, give you time just to, you and the Lord, process the things I'm saying. I'll put that, go back to the other slide that has those things to consider. And I want you looking at these questions and personally between you and the Lord. I want you just thinking about these things, consider them, and come up with some of your own conclusions or answers to that initially. But my hope is also that this brings some things up that you can talk through with the Lord and receive some prayer for in just a few minutes, all right? So let me just pray for us and ask the Lord to speak to us as we process these things. So Lord, we just thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this season, and we thank you for your coming, your first coming, Jesus. Thank you for the responses that it produces in us of worship, but also responses it produces in the earth of trouble. Lord, help us process these questions. Help us, even with these few moments, let our roots go deeper in you. So speak to us, Lord. Help us be honest with ourselves as we, as we just sit before you. In Jesus' name.